This is My Faith Walking Journey podcast with Jim Harrington, episode 17, a conversation with Trisha Taylor. For over 25 years, Jim has been serving the church in Houston, Texas by working to mobilize individuals and congregations into collaborative efforts that are designed to serve the common good. In this podcast series, Jim is talking to community leaders in Houston and across the country who are working to build more loving communities as a systemic solution to the big challenges that our communities face today. Now, let's get into this conversation with Trisha Taylor. Um, I've been conducting a series of conversations with individuals in Houston and from across the country who are working to collaboratively create more healthy communities. Uh, we live in this time of unprecedented change, and uh, that's been put on full display in recent days with the presidential election. Uh, and the solutions that are being offered by the government, by education, by business, by justice, by religion seem uh, increasingly uh, less effective to meet the challenges that we face. I really believe that at the heart of the challenge is learning to develop people who know how to love in a more mature fashion. Um, and um, I'm really glad today to have my good friend who's been on the podcast on a number of occasions, uh, Trisha Taylor. Uh, Trisha is, a, um, is a, a counselor in private practice. She's an ordained pa- uh, minister. Uh, she is uh, my good friend. Uh, she's uh, one of the founders of the faith walking community that we both work in. And uh, it's just always good, Trisha, to be, get to have the opportunity to be with you and to talk to you about things that are important in both of our lives. So, wow, uh, the last couple of weeks have been um, uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> interesting is a good word. You and I live in a world where um, where we teach and train and you counsel and we both coach. Uh, and we do that out of a frame of reference uh, that is generically called family systems uh, for our listeners who might not know that. Um, and and in the family systems world, uh, you and I both operate out of this definition of, of maturity uh, that says uh, that a person is more mature uh, as they grow toward having two capacities. One of them is a the capacity to define themselves. In other words, to say what they think, what they believe, what they want, what they're going to do, what they need. And on the other hand, to be able to stay deeply connected to people who believe or want or are going to do different things. Um, and uh, that's kind of a theoretical framework that we uh, operate out of that we would both affirm uh, you grow your capacity to do that when you get real opportunities to uh, uh, to practice. And I don't know about you, but I have found myself having to practice a lot over the last several weeks uh, as we've gone through the presidential election cycle and then particularly uh, in the days that uh, followed um, President-elect Trump's um, uh, victory. Yeah, lots of opportunities to be defined and connected. So, uh, so I, I just wonder, as we start the conversation uh, in a political context, how do you think about that? How do you think about that for yourself? Uh, so you obviously had a particular opinion about, I mean, you voted and you voted for a particular candidate. And, and you obviously have lots of people in your life who voted for somebody different than you voted for. Uh, how do you... How, how does the framework of being defined and connected help you or serve you as you try to engage people who see it really differently than you do? 
Well, it helps that um, this is something that I've been practicing for a long time and didn't have to just start uh, with this election, or I think it would have done me in. Um, it helps that I've been working on this um, every single day for, I don't know, years, years and years. Um, because like you say, it really does take practice and it takes practice and not doing it very well and reflecting on that and trying again over and over. Um, and sometimes that's not very fun. I like to do things I'm good at. And this is one of those things that I'm sometimes good at and sometimes not. The willingness to keep trying, um, I think is what drives it. What drives it is that I really believe down to the very depths of my soul that to the extent we can do this, to the extent that we can stay connected and defined, uh, we can increasingly live in a world where reconciliation is possible. And reconciliation is the thing um, is the thing that I believe in maybe more than I believe in almost anything else. So uh, are there any stories you could tell or is there anything like as you reflect on the last uh, maybe 10 days, is there a place where you uh, found yourself having to work really hard to uh, be both defined and connected? In the last few days, um, almost every minute of every day, um, do I have stories? Um, well, you know, one of the places that that shows up constantly is just on Facebook. You and I both have a pretty regular presence on Facebook. We keep up with our friends on Facebook and uh, trying to figure out how to manage that. There was a, a point at which I was just so upset, so emotionally reactive. I responded to three friends of mine and really let that show. And, you know, two of the three friends really reached out to me and said, basically, I'm in a different place than you are, and I really care about you. And I want, I want to see what I can do to help, and I want to be in conversation with you, and I'm here if you want to say more. And that was incredibly meaningful to me, um, that, that they would do that for me. And then I have tried to be that person for other people. Um, it's been surprising to me how difficult it has been even with people who think like I do um, or think similarly. They have a lot of overlap with where I am. It has still been hard sometimes to stay defined and connected with some of my dearest friends. Um, you and I have had some of that experience. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's not just... Uh... It's not just difficult to be emotionally mature with people who see it really differently than you do. Uh, sometimes even when there's a lot of overlap, it's it's challenging. Uh, you, I want to tell a little bit of the story of what happened with you and I. Uh, right after the election, we were in Michigan um, leading a faith walking retreat in, in a, uh, in, with our friend Michael DeRyder and, and Tammy up in, um, up in Midland. And, uh, and we had a, a, a several hour car ride, a three hour car ride from where we flew in to get to, to Michigan. Uh, and we had a little bit of conversation where you expressed some of the, um, some of the, um, disillusionment and, uh, discouragement that you had 
uh, over um, um, uh, over the election. Uh, right. And 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 my experience was that even though I shared a lot of your disillusionment, what I didn't get was how deeply uh, impacted you had been. I mean, you were really upset, <laughs> and and you always appear so calm. You have that down to to an art form. <laughs> well, I usually am pretty calm, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and so my experience was. I heard you saying that you were upset by this, but but rather than being with you in those feelings and allowing you just to process that, I pretty quickly moved to problem solving and to uh, asking questions and and uh, though I don't think this happened with us, uh, what I in reflecting on that, what I recognized was that because I wasn't attuned, really deeply attuned to what was happening with you, um, even though we see things very, very similarly, my lack of attunement uh, could have had the impact of pushing you away, of cutting you off, of causing, of contributing to your feeling um, not understood, not heard, uh, not connected to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one of the things that I remember early in that part of our conversation in that car ride was that I asked you pretty early, does this impact you emotionally? And your response was, you know, there are some emotions, but mostly not. Um, I have emotions on behalf of other people, but, you know, that's not really the space I'm in. And so rather than saying, well, that's not so for me, which would have been defining myself. I took that as a cue to mostly stay in the analysis, you know, in the, in the part of the conversation that would be analysis. Um, if I had it to do over again, I think I would have said to you more then. Um, I've woken up on a strange new planet. I'm devastated. I'm not sleeping. Um, I haven't talked to anyone about this yet because I haven't wanted to inject my anxiety into, um, you know, other parts of my life. I don't want to contribute to the growing anxiety. So I have kept this to myself. And I wish I had said all that to you at the beginning. I think that if I had done that, you would have known better how to, um, you know, how to walk with me in that. And, um, I think we've said this before, I, my autopilot is to look to see what you're doing, what you want to talk about, and take my cues from you. And I wish I had done that. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm really present to the fact that you hadn't talked to anybody, maybe, but me and Craig about that. And now that you're about to put that out there for the whole world to know <laughs> that uh, listens to this, and I think that's pretty courageous on your part. Uh, so here was the here here was how my experience unfolded after that. Uh, so we got to Midland, and uh, on the first morning of the retreat, while uh, retreat leaders participants were in times of solitude and meeting with their small groups, you and I had some far further conversations. And something in the further conversations, all of a sudden, uh, I I clued in. <laughs> um, I mean, I work real hard at you know understanding. What's going on with other people? Experiencing, express empathy and compassion 
but it was there was a there was a moment, and, and I I'm, I'm not uh, disparaging myself, but in this moment I miss that. Um, and there was a moment where where internally I thought, oh no, <laughs> uh, she is a lot more impacted by this than I realized, and I I quickly began to rehearse. I mean, I, I don't know what you could see, but I got pretty anxious because uh, because you're a really important person in my life and because I want to be able to uh, be connected to you in, in moments of, of, of that kind of anxiety. And I began to rehearse all the conversations we'd had and evaluate myself and judge myself and think about how I'd done or not done. Uh, and, um, and we had been sitting at a table there in the, in the church, and I got up and went for a walk. Uh, and was just really deeply attuned to the fact that uh, as well as we know each other, we've worked together for 15 years, we, we, I mean, we have a, a lot of connection, uh, that in that moment you had the experience of my not getting, my, my not being connected. Um, and, and I say that without any sense of judgment or any sense of uh, I did anything wrong, I just hold it out there as a part of what my own learning has been. Yeah, and that actually wasn't my experience. I did experience you as being connected. I saw that you were, um, you know, you and I both had work to do, which was why we were sitting at that table, and I saw you set that work aside and, you know, pay attention. Um, I, I didn't feel... I, I didn't have a sense that you weren't connected to me. I might have wanted that to look a little different, <laughs> but I very much had the sense that you were a safe place, even though you weren't necessarily getting everything I thought I was saying. It was something that I'm working at. I talked um, with one of our uh, faith walking groups earlier this week about, you know, we're talking about one of them asked me, have you um, had any safe people to talk to about some of this? And I said, you know, I'm really challenging my idea of what a safe person is, that someone can disagree with me, maybe even strenuously. Um, someone can maybe not show up exactly the way, you know, read off my script for how I want them to show up and still be for me and be a safe person. Um, and so uh, there wasn't ever a sense in which I thought you weren't connected. What I remember is trying to more and more define myself. I think at some point I realized that you didn't understand what I was saying, at least not on the visceral level. And, and so I decided to tell you that. I mean, it may be that the time that you got really clear about it was when I started to cry and said, I'm really devastated and uh, used a little profanity. I mean, that may have gotten your attention. <laughs> so <laughs> that might have been in the space. But now that you have, that was uh, exactly the place that it got my attention. And, and you know, I think that for people who listen to this call, um, um, it's so it, it's so easy to hear defined and connected as either I am or I'm not. And, yeah. and really, you know, th there are a thousand shades of gray in all of that. And so what you're saying is I was connected, but not as deeply connected as I as you would like for me to have been. And what I'm saying is I recognize that I wasn't as connected uh, as I would like to have been. 
And uh, so I think it was desire on my part to do that that contributed. And it was your growing willingness to risk saying what was actually so for you that made that possible. And and the story for me, I want to, I want to, unless there's something else you want to say, I want to move away from the story just a little bit. Because that story for me uh, demonstrates how challenging it can be to be defined and connected with, when there's two people who really care about each other, who really know each other's temperament and style, who've worked together for a long time, who have a shared way of seeing a lot of the world. Um, it can be challenging. Uh, and, and, and then you compare that to, you know, people that, um, that really see it differently than you do. Um, and what the challenge of that is. Um, and it puts a face on how, um, how growing emotional maturity may be the biggest challenge that we face as we try to learn how to speak the truth in love, as we try to learn how to be defined and, and connected. Um, I've tried to use uh, this experience, the, the, the context of the last several weeks as a, as a, a place of practicing. Um, I, I posted a Facebook article from the New York Times uh, that generated some really interesting and good uh, uh, back and forth between a couple of folks. One who I is a, a an acquaintance and who I I know and who I believe that he is after creating the same kind of world that I'm after creating, but he has a really different perspective about how to go about getting there. And, uh, and, and, you know, my instinctive reaction when he pushed back against my comments, uh, was to become defensive, you know, to want to argue with him, uh, to, uh, or to dismiss him and say, you know, this is just one of those guys who, uh, you know, you know, yeah, doesn't get it. Not as smart as I am. Doesn't care as much as I do. I mean, all that internal dialogue that goes on that mostly you don't say. Uh, but for, for in that case, I was able to engage in some conversation, you know, to say, to, to inquire more about uh, what he was saying and, um, and, and what the source of all that was. And also able to say, not you're wrong, but I just see it differently. Um, and then there was another guy who got in the comment thread uh, who I didn't know and who's... Um, you know, there's no tone of voice in Facebook, but you always read tone of voice. And his, his, that, the tone of voice that I read into his comments uh, seemed a lot more disrespectful. They seemed more combative. They seemed more like it was a right-wrong conversation. Uh, and I found myself being really stirred up and wanting to, you know, to write him off and to, or, or, or to shame him with my, you know, some comment. I mean, there was this really uh, dark side of me that, uh, uh, that, that I had to work to manage uh, in the mix of all of that. And, and as, I, I, as I got out of that conversation, it was over, I just found myself reflecting on how profoundly challenging it is to grow emotional maturity and how necessary it is, if you're going to grow emotional maturity, to actually learn to engage people who see the world differently than you do. I've had that, I mean, I've had exactly that experience. Um, yeah, the day after election, I just happened to have a spiritual direction uh, counseling type appointment and got really present in that time in a very safe place. 
to the part of me that really did want to lash out and to be angry, not productively angry, but destructively angry that wanted to, you know, um, win and win, even if that meant um, hurting or humiliating an opponent. And it was really important to me to just own that because um you know, I'm I'm not naturally wired to be that way. And so that told me something about the depth of the hurt I was feeling and that I needed to address that internally. But it also just reminded me of the deep commitment I have to love my enemy. Um, and I don't know that I have enemies in the sense of people who want to harm me in a personal way. But I certainly, my limbic system was certainly perceiving lots of people as being my enemy during that time. And being able to see that and own it and admit it to myself and a few other people was really important. Um, I, here's something that I am working on is that there is a lot of time that I absolutely can say we see this differently and I'm taking on what does it mean to say sometimes I think that's wrong and I can stay connected to you and I hope that you can stay connected to me. Um, but there is some kind of prophetic role in saying, no, that's not okay. I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to say that, that our, uh, that our points of view are morally equivalent um, but it also means that I have to listen for a long, long time before I can make sure that that's the appropriate assumption. Sometimes I just assume someone is wrong prematurely and, you know, go with that. And that's always hurtful and always destructive. Yeah, I, I think uh, some of the I mean, I've had a, I have had a number of conversations by email, by Facebook, social media. I remember particularly uh, an email that I got from a woman in Denver who's done the, the faith walking work. Um, uh, and, um, and she was wondering, you know, about, um, with people who she experiences as being racist, as being homophobic, uh, as being misogynist, um, I mean, you know, the, the list of characteristics that are out there uh, in the in the family systems world, if, if maturity is defined as um, as defining yourself while also staying connected, um, she was she was really struggling with both her capacity to stay connected because that felt so damaging to her. And then she was wondering if I do stay connected, how, how do I not create uh, how do I communicate in a way that acknowledges that I don't see these things as moral? It's not just that we have a different opinion. It's that there's something here that seems right to me and, and something here that really seems morally wrong to me. What do you, I mean, as a counselor and a coach in your own life, what do you, how are you working that out? For me personally, um, the struggle is to define myself really clearly that way. There are other people who um, are on the other end of the spectrum, who will struggle um, to sit back and, and uh, create space for other people to define themselves. So we all have a different place we need to practice. But for me, um, it really is that 
tension between being both defined and connected, which means I think for me that I define myself. I say what's so for me. And I do it in a way that another person can listen. A lot of times what I want, the way I want to communicate is really ineffective because the other person will not be able to hear me if I connect, if I communicate that way. But to be able to say what is so for me as clearly, as authentically, as courageously as I can, and at exactly the same moment, uh, create space for the other person to also say what they see um, as clearly and authentically and courageously as they can. And it takes an enormous amount of time. It does. Mm-hmm. Get real practical mm-hmm. about that. So you're in a conversation with somebody who says, um, I believe that we ought to round all the Muslims in the country up and put them in internment camps or send them back to their uh, to their countries. And you would... Uh, uh, because I know you, we've had this conversation, you would see that as morally wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does that conversation, what do you say, what do you not say? I think some people who are listening need some role plays and some, you know, some... Uh, yeah, the first thing I do is that I have to check my assumption that anyone who voted a certain way or supports a certain platform believes that. You know, that I have to be really careful not to just jump to the conclusion that I know enough to know that they believe that and treat them as if they do. And I'm seeing a lot of that happening. I'm probably seeing more of that happening than the other. Let's go slow here. So what you're saying, Mm -hmm. what you're saying is I get in a conversation and I find out that somebody voted for Trump and I voted for somebody else. And the first thing you have to do is resist the temptation to 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 make a jump from you voted to Trump for Trump to you want to round all the Muslims up and put them in internment camp. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that that is hard work. That is such hard work. You know, I have not yet in the last few days had the conversation you describe. And I also know it's coming because there are people in my life who do believe that. And what I hope that I will do, you can, you can ask me, <laughs> what I hope that I will do is that I will be willing to first check and make sure that I understand what they're saying and see if I can hear. You know, our opinions are really just where we've gotten based on our stories. And so to try to hear what the stories are that are underneath that And at the same time, to be engaged enough and courageous enough to tell my story, to ask my friend to try on a different way of seeing it. Um, What I want to do, what is natural, I I think it is wired in us physiologically is to either fight and get really um, invested in um, winning And typically we want to do that by making sure that the other person can see how wrong they are. Or we want to flee. You know, we want to run away. We want to just say, you know, this is impossible. I can't have this conversation. And either literally walk away or just shut down and hide behind superficialities. And what I am really hoping can happen is that um, we can 
we can have that conversation. I have, so yesterday I had a conversation with someone who certainly doesn't believe all of that, but who is in a really different place and expressed some things that honestly, I just could not understand because I know this person and I just could not understand the conclusions that they had come to. And so I just started asking. And when the answer didn't address the part that I didn't understand, I asked again in a different way. And after about five rounds of that, where she stayed in it and didn't get defensive and didn't walk away, and I stayed in it really trying to understand, guess what? I did. You know, it came clear for me. And all of a sudden, I was able to say, oh, okay, I get that. And it was, it was a it was a great moment. And what also happened was that she then said, you know, and I hadn't thought about it from the place that you're describing. I had, I only saw what I saw. I didn't see what you see. And that conversation took about an hour and a half. <laughs> so, you know, it was a long conversation, but it was exhilarating. It was so life-giving. Yeah, you feel really alive and when, that's, of, when that kind of conversation yeah. takes place. Mm-hmm. That that's the dream I have, that there can be more and more of that. And I want to be someone who can at least do my part in that. And I'm also aware that I will fail. Well, so what I what I mean, there's several things in what you just said, uh, not jumping to conclusions too quickly, listening really deeply, not so that you can prove the other person wrong, but so that you really can empathize and understand their perspective. Uh, you said that it was really hard and you said that it took a really long time. Um, all of that reminds me um, of something that I say to people pretty regularly, and that is that uh, we're facing in our, in our society, in our cities, in our communities, we're facing um, really imminent challenges that mostly only have long-term solutions. Um, somebody listening to this podcast might say, man, I want to be a person who's defined and connected. I want to be emotionally mature. I want to be able to take a stand, but to do that in a, in a, a, a way that really honors and respects and listens to another person. But then in the moment, you know, we go back to doing what we've always done. So one of the things that I, I think it's important to ask and to express is for somebody who wants to take this on, how do you practice? For me, I think the, the baby step, you know, you don't start with the hardest conversation with the most different person you can imagine. For me, the starting place actually wasn't in conversation with people at all. The starting place was, um, exposing myself to other ideas by reading things, by intentionally reading things, listening to things, watching things that came from a very different point of view that tended to get me all stirred up and learning to manage my anxiety while I did that. Um, And that was hard work. And I took that on years ago where I started listening to a radio program that just made me crazy with the express goal of learning to watch my anxiety and learning to manage it um, in more productive ways. That's, so, that's great, Tricia. I, I, one of the things that I've heard a lot in, 
and some of the important places that I'm learning from is that one of the big threats to that social media poses is that increasingly we just surround ourselves with people who see the world the way that we do. And when we see somebody who sees it differently, then they become an enemy. Yeah. And so what I just heard you say was listening to a podcast or a radio program or reading a book, um, following someone who really sees the world differently than you do, uh, noticing your anxiety, staying engaged, even when the anxiety gets high, that that's a good way to a really great way to practice. I think so. So for me, uh, just the recognition that it's long term. Part of what I love about the faith walking community is that I'm surrounded by people like you who share this definition of maturity, uh, who are regularly practicing sharing stories. Uh, you said a moment ago, you know, you're going to fail. Uh, some of our stories are stories of failure, and we do that without any shame, just with a commitment to uh, to learning. Uh, and, um, and, and to me, that's incredible, incredibly valuable. The thought of having to learn to do what you and I are describing here by reading a book or doing it on our own just seems impossible. Um, we have to do it together. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, that's probably a good place to stop today. Um, we're going to have some more conversations uh, that we hope I hope will build on this. Uh, I'm appreciative of your friendship. I'm appreciative of your professional expertise that you bring to all this. I appreciate the authenticity and vulnerability that's been expressed in the conversation today, because I think that um, that we both know a lot of people who want to live into this kind of life and who. Um, uh, need the kinds of stories that are being shared here to help with that journey. So thanks for doing that and doing it so, um, so authentically today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this conversation on building loving communities. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd give us a review on iTunes and share it with your community. This helps more people find us. You can find the show notes for this episode and all other episodes in this series on Jim's blog, jimtherrington.com. Thanks for listening.